Hey listeners, Renee here. Just a reminder that any of the information that you gather from this podcast is general advice. This means that although our advice is rooted in evidence-based theory and our experiences working within the industry, it is still just general advice. With that being said, if you are concerned about your dog's behavior, listening to the podcast is a great place to start. However, we would urge you to work with a qualified dog professional. Hi there, and thanks for joining us. You're listening to Dog Logical, a podcast by R Plus Dogs. I'm Renee Rhodes, a dog behavior consultant, the owner of R Plus Dogs, and a self-professed dog nerd. Along with my friend and colleague, Cassie Dixon, we host this podcast aimed at dog guardians to give you tips, tricks, and bust pesky myths about your dog and their behavior. So if you want to learn how to be more dog logical, you're in the right place. Now let's dive into this week's episode. Today we are talking about um, puppies' first few weeks home. Obviously, with Christmas looming on us, um, we are probably going to be inundated in January, almost likely February, um, when the puppy kind of feels wore off a little bit. Um, but just giving you some tips that you can start to use and implement now um, for your puppy's first few weeks at home. Um, so I think it's best to kind of start with, uh, equipment because obviously when we go to purchase things for our puppies, that's, we purchase the things probably before we get the puppies or, you know, sometimes same day. So what would you say, Cassie, as far as equipment, um, is your kind of go-to for puppies? Um, so it really depends on the puppy for me. Uh, I'm a little bit kind of all over the place. Depends on the size of the puppy when you get them, the age of the puppy when you get them, because not everybody is getting a puppy straight at eight or 12 weeks from a breeder. Sometimes people are getting puppies from their, you know, local shelter or a rescue group or things like that. Those puppies might be a little bit bigger, a little bit smaller. There's a lot of differences. So for me, I always say I want a like well-fitted harness and at least a six foot leash. Um, because puppies are a lot like lower to the ground. It's, it's probably a good idea to have a little bit longer of a leash so that, you know, if, if anything happens, you're not pulling too much on your puppy or doing things like that. So for me, definitely having an appropriately fitted harness and leash, um, just to make sure that you have control of your puppy. Anytime you do go on outings or, you know, that every 30 minutes when you have to run them outside to go to the bathroom sort of thing, um, you have a really great way that they're not going to get out of. Um, and then also just making sure, like I typically suggest, especially for puppies, having a collar that has their, I almost said credentials. I didn't mean credentials. That almost, <laughs> that has <laughs> their credentials. <laughs> yeah. Right. That, um, that has their tags. So your information, their information, their vaccination information, if you have it. But bear in mind, again, a lot of those tags are like, you know, like an inch, inch in size. Some puppies, that's way too big for them to have on their collar. So alternatively, having that on a harness or whatever. But I know that you kind of have mentioned previously the types of collars that you like to make sure that puppies have. Um, do you want to dive a little bit into that? Well, it's super uh, simple. It's just uh, super simple. It's super simple. It's just breakaway collars. So like 
you know, if you're going, if you want your puppy to wear tags all the time, um, which I'm not a huge fan, the, the dogs are always naked when they're in the house. But if you're worried about puppy getting out or something, um, then definitely a breakaway collar. Too many times I've seen stories about dogs getting their collars caught on things. Um, that's why my dogs don't wear collars in the house. Um, but like I said, if you're worried about your puppy getting out, slipping out, especially around Christmas, New Year's time, things like that, um, at least if it gets caught on something, then it will break away. There, there won't be any um, damage or potential harm, serious harm to the puppy. Um, same thing if you have another dog and your dog plays with the puppy. Um, if you put your dog in a crate or if you want to use some kind of, you know, confinement like that, things can get caught on that as well. So um, yeah, if you want to use a collar, I definitely recommend a breakaway collar to go for. Um, but again, even things about, you know, having the tags on the dogs, Luckily, in the UK, the only tag that they have is because um, we don't have rabies here. So they only have their kind of name and uh, any kind of contact details. So I don't need to have it on them. They are microchipped. But um, if I did need to have it on them, then I would go for one of the ones that can slip on the collar. So it doesn't mm -hmm. have that jingling all of the time. Yeah, that's Near a really good point. He's, he's lost his his jingly collars, even though they're on his harness, he he's lost. I don't even have, I bought this really cute one that was like, I don't know. It says something like, um, call my mom. She's probably ugly crying. And I was like, <laughs> that's what I'm doing if Nero ever got lost. But um, yeah. yeah, so a slip on one is really quite nice as well. Yeah. And that, that makes perfect sense too, because everybody has their own different regulations, right? And need for certain types of um, identification and things like that. So here where I am in Canada, especially in like the GTA, greater Toronto area, in and around that spot, Durham region, um, they have to have the rabies, they have to have a contact information, and they also have to have a city like permit essentially tag yeah. so that they are licensed with the city. So the city knows who your animal is and things like that. Um, so the, they would have to have three very large tags on a collar for a tiny puppy. Sometimes it just doesn't work out that way. So, but having a way that you make sure you have that information, you mentioned microchipping. Microchipping is a big thing. I will like, I, I recommend microchipping cats. I micro recommend microchipping like other special species, things like that, because it really is, even though they can migrate one of the most reliable ways to find your dog if they ever get out, ever get lost, ever get whatever, because every clinic should have a microchip scanner. Every shelter usually has a microchip scanner. Like at your, anywhere your dog or feline or special species is going to get or go, they'll be able to scan a microchip. Yeah. I mean, it's mandatory in the UK. I don't know if you know that, but you have to have your animal microchip. Like you can have a fine if you don't get them. So, I mean, something like that Amazing. is really... It's interesting that they have it as a mandatory um, like requirement of, of dogs. I mean, even we used to have, we, I say, um, I am a British citizen, dual citizenship, but um, we <laughs> even used to have like licenses for dogs, which, you know, there's been a call to kind of bring those back as well. So um, yeah, I completely agree. Microchipping, definitely having those details up to date. Um, and if it is an option for you, I would say definitely take the option. Yeah. And as far as like other equipment, we covered this already in a podcast previously. So, I mean, if anybody does want to kind of deep dive a little bit more into the equipment that we recommend, because we do have slightly, we're very similar, but we do have slightly different um, kind of opinions on 
of the type of equipment that we both use and recommend. So they can definitely go to that, um, which I'll put in the podcast notes anyway. But um, what would you say, I suppose, for puppies is going to be the main focus for you for the first couple weeks that they're kind of settling in? That You said it right there, settling in. Um, for me, the biggest thing is letting your puppy settle in. I see so, 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 so often that people don't necessarily get prepared before they get their puppy. Like they're prepared. Like they've maybe done their research. They know the breed that they're getting or they know whatever, but they haven't really done their research into like what the first few weeks look like of having a puppy. And let me tell you, it's a lot of getting bitten because <laughs> they're mouthing you constantly. They don't know what is and isn't appropriate and they maybe don't have a great in- a bite inhibition yet. Um, it's constant taking them out to go to the bathroom unless you want to clean it up off your floors. It's teaching them appropriate confinement. It's teaching them like how to be comfortable and confident being alone, those types of things. So for me, the first few weeks, I try to just focus on decompression, appropriate like places to be and places to go. So confinement of some kind, like I am a huge fan. I wish I could just like turn my camera and show you my house. Um, I have like six, four four or six baby gates and four doors that we use when we have foster dogs or puppies or boarding dogs or whatever the case may be um, in the house to keep them in smaller spaces to, you know, if I'm running to say, go make a coffee or something and I don't want that puppy in the kitchen, I have them in a smaller confinement space that's appropriate. And, you know, those types of things. So decompression is one of the biggest ones and ensuring you're keeping them safe when you can't keep an eye on them is another really big one for me. But um, we've kind of chatted about it a lot just in general in terms of like what the best case scenario is for your puppy or for your dog or your new adopted dog or whatever um but no matter where you're going or what you're doing or whatever you have to think that puppy is coming from a lot like a large background of stuff has been happening to this puppy in the last however long especially if you're taking a puppy straight from a litter there's a lot of fear anxiety and stress that's associated with that um that you know they're 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 losing mom they're losing their litter mates they're losing their original home the only place they've ever known like there's so much Everything stress that comes along with that. <laughs> Exactly. So there's so much stress that's associated with that. So like I say, like, honestly, focus on giving them time to settle in, focus on giving them time to just chill and figure out who you are and those types of things. Like this is the best time to like go with compassion over comprehension. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, no, I I agree. And, you know, when people contact me, I love when people contact me before they get a puppy. That's the best. I'm like, you are a gold star. I know. (laughs) I wish they all did that. Um, Before you get a puppy, great. Then we can say, I can prep them for this, right? So I can say, these are the things to expect. This is what you should focus on. And then after, you know, a week or two, then we can start doing stuff, you know, let the puppy kind of have their time. Because as you just said, they lose everything. I mean, as a, you know, foreigner in in an English speaking country, still, still, but like losing everything, going from one environment, snap overnight, you know, you have no idea what's going on. Like I knew what was going on, but still it, it takes a lot of time for you to be able to settle in. And it also is all of these adjustments. So imagine for a puppy who's everything, they're new, fresh to this world. Everything has just changed for them. 
I mean, I definitely agree. I mean, focusing on decompression, focusing on just your dog feeling safe, comfortable, starting to get the lay of the land of where they are. Um, don't I wouldn't even go for training when we're first starting off, you know, looking at Yes, setting up some like small, you know, routines that are soft, like, okay, we're going to go potty here. This is what it's like. This is when we're going to eat. These are the sounds of the house. You know, if there's another animal, that kind of stuff. I mean, that in itself is way, way, way too much for then you to start adding on other things like loose leash, you know, like <laughs> leave it training. You know, the puppy's yeah. like, my head is just like everywhere. How do you expect me to, to learn when I'm in this kind of almost state of really just being so overwhelmed. Yeah. I think that I also, I I laugh really hard when I talk to people about like when your dog is going through something, because I think about it and I'm like, what would my therapist do? Probably tell me to go get medicated. Like my therapist would be, oh, you're, you're about to just completely change your world overnight. Let's put you on something. You know what I mean? Yeah. Oh, so much. You have no idea. But it's, it's one of those things, right? Like making sure that because that's not our first jump. That's like, we're not going to medicate a young eight week old puppy, but like, maybe it is a good idea. Who knows? <laughs> right. But like keeping that in mind, like if it's a situation where like your therapist might say, or your friend might be like, take some time, have a glass of wine. Like those situations, your puppy's going through the same thing. Give them what you think you would need in those moments or whatever the case may be. Like, obviously don't give your puppy a glass of wine. Not what I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> but like that kind of thought process, if you need to go like chill in a bubble bath because something scary just happened, think about what your puppy might need in that moment, because that same thing just happened to them or a similar thing happened to them. Right. So that's definitely a big one. And you've talked about, and I guess a lot of rescues in general, um, and just places in general talk about like the three rule or the rule of three, um, can like, let, let's just break that down really quickly. And as a, like, caveat to it I will say that it's it's a it's a rule but it's not set in stone because every dog is different exactly every animal is an individual um there's no guarantees but this is a good kind of like I don't want to say rule of thumb because that's such an inappropriate (laughs) like moniker to use but it's a good kind of like thing to remember or thing to think about yeah absolutely um and Yes, you're absolutely right with the individual. I mean, I've seen dogs where they're maybe rescues a little bit older and they go into a new home and they're like, hey, guys, like they've always been there. And then (laughs) you're like, he's new. (laughs) He knows everything. Um, So the other is that we have a, a dog, maybe a rescue dog who's potentially been through some sort of like trauma or maybe even not just like really, you know, going from that quick transition that may take year plus of time to really be like, okay, I can let my guard down. I feel okay in that situation. I always equate it to like children who are adopted. You know, you're, if you just put into another situation, some kids who are maybe a little bit more confident, you know, this isn't their first time being in a home, something like that. They might be like, okay, I know what's going on here. I can feel, you know, comfortable in the surroundings. Or you might have some kids that take a bit of time and then they might have some behavior concerns because they're 
unsure how to feel or unsure how to act in those situations. So your puppy definitely needs that time. We often think of like, oh, it's a puppy, like, yay, everybody, like, you know, come and see the puppy. And the puppy is like, what is going on? Like, this is a lot. So like the cuddling the puppy, you know, the moving the puppy, the past the puppy, you know, all the things that happen, especially if you're getting your puppy around Christmas and New Year's, I mean, when it's your whole family's in town. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. exactly. You're meeting the extended family. People are picking up the puppy, you know, kissing the puppy. It's just like, it's way, way too much, I think, in some in some situations. So, yeah, definitely allowing that kind of rule of three. And for anybody who doesn't know what that is, it's generally three days, um, three weeks, and three months. And that's the transition time. So three days is going to be time to generally decompress. Three weeks is going to be the dog starting to kind of get more comfortable. You know, some of those walls are coming down. And then three months is the time frame in which a dog is completely comfortable, well-adjusted, and, you know, just like any other member of the family. Crazy. So, (laughs) but again, that might transition. But I don't know about you, but I know I hear it all the time where it that three month ish period is when we get the calls that are like, my dog was like this, or my dog was doing this. You know, reactivity definitely. It's like now he starts barking at all the dogs. I mean, it's like nothing's changed other than he's feeling a little bit more comfortable to, you know, show his emotions, um, which is a good thing. <laughs> you might not see yeah. it as, but it is a good thing. Yeah. So yeah, puppies definitely have that. We just don't give them that grace period, unfortunately. Yeah. Yeah. It's so true. And it is around that time that I typically see that kind of sort to start to happen where, yeah, people are like, oh, well, this was happening and my dog was perfect. And now all these behaviors are coming out. And that also starts to happen. Like, you know, when we talk about puppies right now, we're talking about young puppies. You're first bringing them home, Mm -hmm. that type of thing. But that also happens right around adolescence too, where people are like, my puppy knew sit, my puppy knew down, my puppy walked on a loose leash, my puppy was perfect. Now my puppy's crazy and bites everyone and jumps on everything and counter surfs and does this. And, and that's no when people start to go. of learning anything. <laughs> yeah. So it's kind of like, how do we, you know, like, because these rules, and that's why we say like, these rules are they're passive is what they are. They're, they're like, think about it that way to give yourself a good, baseline or starting point but every animal is an individual and no matter what you're going to be getting something different like even just between breeds for example so um Renee you and I were just talking because I just had a beagle puppy in my house for he was only here for three weeks maybe um because he came into the shelter and was ill and needed to uh basically become better before he could get surgery and be adopted out and all of those fun things. So I thought, you know what? The last Beagle we had was, he was not the greatest. He had some serious aggression issues. It ruined Beagles for my partner. So I was like, redemption, three months old, (laughs) three month old puppy. Let's bring him home. It'll be great. But it was a three month old puppy. (laughs) So you're dealing with all of these puppy things. And even just between like the three-month-old puppy that was here for three weeks as versus the seven or eight-month-old puppy that I had weeks previous to that, um, who my cousin actually adopted, which is really exciting. She gets to stay in the family. Um, (laughs) But between those two dogs, because she was a Whippet Husky mix, or is what we assume, and then a Beagle, the differences in their personality and the time it took them to figure things out. And, you know, looking at 
genetic predispositions and things like that, like hounds are typically very fearful dogs or can be like fearful dogs. Um, The differences between that puppy and this puppy, even though their ages were quite different, insurmountable just because of their genetic predisposition to certain things or his genetic predisposition to have his nose to the ground all the time, her genetic predisposition to watch anything moving quickly, like that sort of thing. So keeping those things in mind, like this is not always going to be an end all be all rule. Mm. Right. Um, but that's where those other things kind of come into, like, what are some of the things that we can do to ensure that we're giving our puppies what they need in terms of like time and confinement? And, you know, cause there are definitely some things we can do in terms of training, but again, we want to hold off on that for a little bit until they've started to settle in and decompress and all of that fun stuff. So like passive things that we can do for, you know, enrichment or things like that, that just maybe means we need to prep their meal for an extra three minutes or something like that. I know you have a lot of really great reels, um, on Instagram and that sort of thing that show a lot of this. So if anybody wants to see that, jump on over to our plus dogs, Instagram, just saying, um, you will find a world of wonderful videos and stuff like that on there. But what are kind of some of those things that you think of right away? scatter feeding, like just instantly scatter feeding. Like it's the easiest go-to like immediately. I do it all the time. The dogs never tire of it. You know, it's a lazy, but such a simple way to just like enrich your dog. So doing the thing that they were intended to do, to scatter, to forage, to use their nose, you know, um, I think as well, uh, snuffle mats can be cool, but, uh, if you have grass then, or even like, you know, leaves, whatever, some kind of foliage, you can definitely use that. So you don't have to necessarily have grass or use a snuffle mat, a towel, a blanket. We use those in the winter time. So you can hide food in that again, let them kind of forage and find, hide treats around, hide your food around, um, Generally, that's one of my immediate go-tos. If you want to use like enrichment toys per se, um, then, you know, getting a few of those maybe in different shapes can be really nice to help the dog boost a little bit of confidence and dexterity, you know, learning how to use those different ones. Um, Yeah, I would say those are my automatic go-to as you, as you know, I'm not a huge fan of like hand feeding. So I'm, I wouldn't say that I would start immediately hand feeding the dog. Um, I would probably go to a little bit more of the, some confinement, soft confinement, enrichment, little bit of separation from the, the human. Um, so like doing a scattering on your own, and then maybe exiting out of the room um, for a couple minutes, come back in and see how well the dog does. Um, so I think you can also kind of layer in those bits when you're doing that enrichment. I love that. Yeah. And truth be told too, you said it right there. Um, I love that term, soft confinement. So <laughs> let's break that down really quickly. Not just shoving your dog in a crate. When you say soft confinement, you mean confining them by closing a door behind you when you leave in a safe space or, you know, whatever, or 
X-Pens or, you know, the backyard for 10 minutes where you can see them, but you're not necessarily right there. Like, what are some other examples for you of like soft confinement? Just so everybody kind of knows what we're talking about when we say that. Baby gate. I mean, just being on the other side of a baby gate, you know, Um, you might have a a room divider and your dog is maybe in the living room chowing down on breakfast and you're in the kitchen, make yourself a cup of coffee. The dog doesn't have to be excluded from you in that way. You don't have to necessarily cut off visuals. You know, you don't have to pretend to leave the house, nothing like that at this stage, just there's a bit of separation. And so if puppy goes, where are you going? Then you can just go, I'm right here. I'm okay. You know, so maybe, you know, toss a couple little treats, maybe don't go so far. That's definitely what I mean by self-confinement, not a hard, fast, like you need to leave your puppy. Um, Letting them just see like a little bit of separation isn't a big deal. Perfect. I love that explanation too. Um, That's typically like, uh, that's what I recommend for all dogs, really. Like it's not necessary to use a crate for stuff. Like they're great tools to have, but there are other ways to use confinement that don't create stress and anxiety or issues. Like um, a lot of the examples that I use all the time, and obviously not to be breedist or anything like that, but for example, like huskies. Who wants to put a husky in a crate? I'm sorry. They hate confinement. <laughs> like, just as a general rule, huskies don't like being locked away, um, no matter how that is. So for a dog like that, that is a dog that soft confinement is a really great way to start with those things. Because the second they realize they're in a small space, they're like, what is this business? And they don't want to be in it, right? And obviously, again, every dog's an individual. That's not a, like a real, <laughs> like it's every husky ever. That's not a thing. Um, but it is like their one breed that always comes to mind when people are like, my dog destroys everything or hates confinement or like super high energy or blah, blah. The first thing I think of is a husky. So, and huskies are so loved and so wanted for that personality. And people want them because of their, you know, they're very independent and they're very, very like almost, I want to say almost personable, but those are kind of like opposites that don't make sense together. Um, but they have this like, so, yeah. yeah describing a husky, like that makes perfect <laughs> sense to me. Yeah. And they have this like really big personality and people are like, oh, I love that my husky talks and I love all these things. And then it's like, but all of the other traits that a husky comes with, people are like, what do I do with this? And soft yeah. confinement is 90% of the time a really good answer for that mm. um so those but are kind of those like if you want to use a crate adding an x-pen to a crate to just give your dog the choice of being able to move around it and then you can even softly introduce the crate that way you know so it's not like a hard i mean i have feelings about crates anyway but um <laughs> but i mean like it's that doesn't mean that i don't ever use them it's just not my go-to recommendation for dogs or puppies. But yeah, absolutely. Having that soft confinement is super, super important because we, our dogs do need to have some positive time away from us. It just doesn't need to be as like definitive as I think some information that's out there is. Yep. No, I completely agree. And you mentioned too, in terms of like scavenging. So you said like, let's talk about grass and leaves and those types of things. But it's also really important to remember with a puppy, depending on their age and, you know, all of that fun stuff that our puppies are looking for vaccinations, right? Or I guess they're not looking for them, but our puppies need vaccinations before they can go out into the world for specific things, especially in some areas. Um, And like, bear that in mind, because like you mentioned, you don't have rabies in the UK, right? 
Um, so for example, rabies might not be a huge concern for you to have your dog, like you just don't have it there. Like it's not something that you worry about, but parvo or parainfluenza or, you know, all of those other things are a concern because there are a lot of wild animals. There are a lot of, um, dogs, there are a lot of cats, there are a lot of everything. So making sure that your puppy's vaccine regimen is being appropriately followed and you're working with your veterinarian to ensure that they can go to certain places. Like for example, because I have a household that constantly has dogs come and go and come and go and come and go. I also have chickens. I have a lot of chickens in my yard. Um, They carry diseases in and of themselves that dogs aren't typically vaccinated for. So I tend to take a very specific approach to having dogs in my yard. And for example, my the beagle puppy that I had here, because we knew he had Giardia, we knew he had a couple of other things. I took precautions in where he went. He did not go out to the regular yard because those things can be spread very easily. Um, he didn't share water bowls with other dogs, like that type of thing. Like we were very careful about appropriately cleaning with like accelerated um, peroxide cleaners and things like that. So we make sure Right. So obviously you're not going to need to take the same precautions that I need to, because I have a million and one dogs through my house every year, but (laughs) other people are going to need to take certain precautions. Like if you just move to a neighborhood and there's a dog park at the end of the street, maybe don't take your puppy to the dog park, (laughs) you know, walk them in your front yard. Don't take anything to a dog. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. But like, even just like a, a big green space, right? Like that is not a place that I would want to take a puppy who hasn't had all of his vaccines. Um, and every place is going to be a little bit different. Like there are some places where some veterinarians will say, absolutely do not take your puppy anywhere until they're 16 weeks and they've had every vaccination they can possibly have, which also is a little extreme and not necessarily something that makes a whole lot of sense because your puppy is in a critical socialization period between eight to 16 weeks. Right. And like, realistically, every socialization period is critical for puppies, but this is a big one. So making sure that you're doing what you need to do to appropriately socialize them in other ways. Um, So like focusing on, you know, I like to put down like pots and pans and like um, sheets and stuff like that in the kitchen. Like, I don't care. I'll clean it. Puppy can walk all over that. And because it makes noise under their paws or they get to see a mirror for the first few times or tissue paper or other things like that, that we can socialize them with that don't maybe necessarily put them in harm where they haven't been appropriately vaccinated or that type of thing. So working with your veterinarian, but also making sure that you have help along the way. Like you're already working with a trainer. I recommend everybody that gets a dog works with a trainer. I'm a trainer. And when I get a puppy, I will be getting a trainer, like, because I will be too close to the, you know what I mean? I'm probably going to be calling you Renee. Let's be realistic here. Um, but those are things like, like taking those precautions, right? Because it's better to be out ahead of stuff than it is to be behind it. Did you know that we offer our expert services worldwide? If you've been looking for a dog professional to help you communicate better with your dog and have the relationship that you've always wanted, check out rplusdogs.com to see what services we offer. One of the biggest things that I recommend to my clients is getting something that you can have your dog off the ground, but helping them to be positively exposed to situations from a 
good, healthy distance. Because let's just clarify, when we're talking about socialization, we're talking about the picture of what it's going to look like for your dog kind of day to day. What are things they're going to encounter? What are the things that they might encounter in the future? You know, it's not about dogs or other dogs. It's not necessarily about people, although those are on the kind of, you know, spectrum of what your dog should be comfortable with. But too much emphasis in those two areas leads to huge issues. So making sure that your dog is just comfortable in their environment and, you know, looking for that confidence building, that resiliency that they have and having something that can keep them off the ground, whether it's like a papoose, whether it is a little um, trailer that you can kind of push behind you. I even <laughs> oh, had please. <laughs> what is a papoose? <laughs> Papoose is like the. <laughs> My brain went to pomplamoose and like grapefruit, and I'm like, "What on earth are you talking about, Renee?" It's a little sling, like yeah. Oh, oh my goodness, that is the cutest. Okay, I'm using that now. That is the cutest name. <laughs> okay, continue. You were you were on wagon. I. <laughs> yep, definitely a wagon. Um, I've even had clients that have used like um, push chairs. You know, there was one client I remember specifically had a had a boxer. He was a very big boxer. And for a while, even until, you know, even after his vaccinations, they would take out the, the stroller for him because he would get he would get tired. So, you know, That's he so got cute. to go to fireworks from a distance. He got to go and see like, you know, noises from like trucks and buses and things like that. He used to go out and have these experiences before his vaccinations were fully complete with safety mechanisms in place. He never got out of any of the things that he was in. And he is one of the most sound dogs that I have ever met. Like nothing really throws him off because they were that. able to do that in a very positive way for him. I mean, seeing a, a, a you know, a pretty big boxer in a pushchair is hilarious, but... You know, and they got a lot of questions. They were saying, well, you know, this is what our behaviors recommended to us. And I was like, good, good, good. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, making sure that you are able to get those experiences. And it's sad because when we think of vets, a lot of our dog guardians are going to go to vets for this kind of advice. And they are going to say, you know, safety first, keep your dog away from these places. But there are compromises between the two. And I think that we need to have better information out there to say, you know, it is important to get our dogs out there to experience these things positively. You don't have to necessarily wait, but you do need to make sure that you're being safe. Yeah. One of the, one of my favorite places to like, as a resource to send people, um, especially people who are having that conversation with their veterinarian or their veterinarian maybe is a little old school, I guess is the best word for it, um, is I like to send people to the AVSAB. Um, and for those of you that don't know what that is, that's the American Veterinary Society of Animal Behavior. Um, they have a position statement. Um, they have a lot of position statements. So their position on X, Y, Z, you know what I mean? Um, so they have a position statement on puppy socialization. And it goes over basically how how we make that compromise, the, uh, the wants versus needs, the, um, science behind a lot of the reasons that, you know, vaccinations are recommended before certain things, but also that socialization can sometimes be because it is that critical period. Socialization matters more than the, the minimal chance that those vaccinations aren't taking full effect or those types of things. So, um, the position statement, 
on puppy socialization through the AVSAB is a great piece of information to take with you to your vet clinic if you're having this conversation with your veterinarian. It gives them something that they can look at because all veterinarians are required to have continuing education, but not all of them do a lot of continuing education in animal behavior. So I recommend looking at those because they also have a lot of position statements on a lot of other things too, um, on certain types of training. And, you know, as veterinary behaviorists, what type of training makes the most sense? So for example, if you, if you take your puppy to a veterinarian, and this is super off topic, but if you take your puppy to a veterinarian, your veterinarian tells you that that puppy just needs to be sternly told no about something, bring them these pieces of paper. <laughs> Let them know stuff. Um, because it's hugely important in terms of like, how our puppy sees the world, and what we can do to mitigate some of those potential concerns. And you can know based on evidence and, you know, up to date, science and research and all of those things that like evidence backed information is the most accurate and up-to-date information period right because it's something that's constantly changing and growing and the AVSAB follows that and they do regularly update their stuff in regards to current research and that sort of thing so I think it's really important for people to have that kind of research resource and know. Um, but that's kind of one of my big things too. And we've said it like five or six times already during this specific episode, but um, having help, like knowing, like having, if you're listening to this podcast, amazing, that's a little bit of help for you, but find a trainer or a, you know, certified dog behavior consultant or whatever the case may be that you're happy to work with like Renee or myself, you know, um, we do virtual. So like finding someone either in your area, if you want to do in person, but let me tell you, virtual is amazing and can be so much better for you and your dog as well. But find someone who you're comfortable with, who you're confident with, and who aligns with your values and the things you want to see from your animal and work with them. Work with them from the day you bring your puppy home. Don't wait until problems are already happening to contact someone like that. Because at that point, a lot of the time, some of those behaviors are learned behaviors. And now we have to try to reverse some of those things that have happened rather than prevent it, right? Here, here. I mean, amen. I mean, I will just say that the clients that I, I've taught a lot of puppy classes in person. I've, um, and I have worked with puppies, um, privately, both virtually and in person, the puppies that I have dealt with privately do exponentially better than the puppies in the group classes, because there's just too much going on. And it's not to say that the dog guardians weren't doing all the homework or, you know, taking in, but you're dividing yourself between, you know, at the time it was like six people plus six puppies, you know, if anybody else is there, you know, so yes, you know, you can gain insight from going to group classes, but if you can afford it and you have, you know, cause as we're virtual, we have a lot of flexibility. So flexibility isn't such an issue or time constraints, but if you can afford it going for a private puppy course, um, I no longer do the puppies anymore, but Cassie will definitely be able to help you with that. Um, but that private one-to-one information it is, you know, and I think it's, the biggest kind of factor is people focus on socialization. So they're like, well, how is my dog going to get socialized if I'm meeting with Cassie, you know, virtually? How does that help my dog socialize? And that can be the best thing that you can do to help your dog socialize. Because as we just mentioned, it's not about meeting other dogs and playing with other dogs. 
It's about making very strategic choices about who your dog is around as far as other dogs and people, because that negative encounters with those kind of dogs or people can set your dog up for almost like a domino effect of fear around other dogs, fear around people, um, maybe even over arousal in your dog loves other dogs or love people, but it's a giant, like 80 pound, you know, like boxer and they're jumping up and they're going crazy because they want to get to the the other dog or the person. So virtual allows you to really get down to the nitty gritty of it. And I found that, you know, my clients did exceptionally well in that private arena versus the puppy classes. Some puppies and puppy classes did amazing too, but you know, private is definitely the way to go. And as Cassie said, as soon as possible, because there's so many things like mouthing, oh, the amount of puppies where I've gotten messages from people and being like, I have not been bitten today. <laughs> you're like, that's, that's what you want with your puppy, you know? So like, we can help you through all of this. You just need the right kind of guidance. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And I think one of the big things that people kind of focus on a lot when we talk about socialization is socializing not socialization. And I think there's a really big way to like, I think we've talked about this before in another, in another episode, if I'm not mistaken, but the difference between socializing and socialization, it's small, but it's important. So socialization Mm -hmm. is the act of desensitizing, counter conditioning, making sure your puppy is comfortable with things, getting them used to novel, new, or, you know, different stimuli or people or places or things like Renee just mentioned. Um, But socializing is the act of chilling with the things you already know about. So socializing is like going out with your known friends to, you know, the pub you go to every Friday to hang out and have a drink and listen to some music and go home. Socialization is the act of meeting new people in a new place with new environmental stimuli while you try to get comfortable with it or whatever the case may be. So there is a very distinct difference. And I know that probably isn't the best analogy to use, but I, you I know, feel as like you were saying that though, I was just thinking that is such a great analogy because, you know, as a person, which I will openly admit, like socially, you know, I'm not the, the best socially. I'm always like, who's going to be there? What's going on? What are we doing? But if you imagine yourself in that situation, anxiety is basically how I just sum that up. Um, <laughs> Socially anxiety. Um, But if you think about that, that is basically, you know, with a puppy, you're bringing them into a situation where you don't know what's going to happen. So Mm -hmm. like that aspect of going to the pub with people that you don't know, the unknown pub, you know, who's going to be there, what's going to happen, all that unpredictability. And for a puppy, they might be like, oh my God, this is the best. And you might be like, Oh my God, that dog just like, you know, toppled over my tiny little puppy. Like, is he okay? And the puppy's like, whoa, that was a lot. You know, so there's lots going on that you don't even know what's going to happen. Like that group of friends that you don't know versus the safety, the security, the comfort, the reliability and predictability of going, hey, my friend has a dog. I've seen this dog's behavior. We've introduced them nicely. You know, they've been able to kind of see, experience each other from a distance. Looks like everything's going to be good. And then you meet up again and again and again. And that is how dog friends, you know, when we say like, does your dog have any friends? 
We're not talking about does your dog go and, you know, their WWE with like the local dog <laughs> park. They're able to just be around each other, just, yeah. you know, relaxing what you do with your friends when you're really comfortable. So yeah. I think it's a great analogy. I love Perfect. it. Perfect. Which is why, though, really quickly, which is why dog parks are not for socializing. Yeah, let's go back to dog parks. <laughs> because just again, <laughs> what did somebody say? I think it was, I can't remember, something like dog parks are like a nightclub and you're just like, you know, what happens mm-hmm. in a nightclub? Sometimes you have fun. Sometimes you've just Mm-mm. been accosted <laughs> and you're like, what the heck just happened? Like, I yeah. need to get out of here. Um, or the so, third person you walk by hip checks you and you're not sure if it was on purpose or not. Like those types of, yeah, it's not fun. It's not yeah. fun. Yeah, no. Yeah. It, you're better off without without dog. Unless the dog park is empty. In yes. that case, go to the dog park, enjoy yourself. But you do not need to go to the dog park and socialize. Yeah. Um, but yeah, yeah thank you. absolutely. <laughs> Great analogy. So, I mean, hopefully this podcast is giving you, if you are going to be adding a new dog into your life, um, especially, you know, within this time period of Christmas is absolutely chaotic with New Year's on top of it. But at any time, hopefully this podcast gives you a great idea of the things that you should look for when you're adding the puppy to your life in the first few weeks. Um, I think we are definitely going to do a part two because I know as far as, you know, from me and my perspective, we could talk about puppies and how to have puppies probably for like eight hours straight. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. A lot when it comes to puppies. Yeah. We're going to fail at this short episode thing, I think. We were were discussing this for everyone who doesn't know. We discuss things behind the scenes. And Renee was like, the 30-minute ones are like, I think people really like the short snippets, you know, if you have a short commute, that sort of thing. And I was like, yeah, yeah, I get that. I have like an hour and a half commute, so I'm not that person. But she's like, no, 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 I think we need to keep them short. It'll be the best case scenario. Like, we'll get it. We are not capable. We are not capable, Renee. I don't think this is going to (laughs) go I know if people, I mean, literally Scott is like, can we not talk about dogs for five minutes? And I'm like, <laughs> I don't think I can. Like, I bring you know, everything back to dogs. Everything. Just yeah. fold them into the conversation. But I mean, that, it's why know, I'm so good at analogies. I'm just saying. <laughs> Um, just saying. <laughs> so we will definitely do another um, episode. I think just one little caveat that I would like to add is that you haven't heard both Cassie and I mention training. So, you know, mm-hmm. don't focus on that for right now. Really focus on bonding with your dog, helping them to feel really comfortable in their new surroundings, um, allowing them to get rest, allowing them to be yes, enriched rest. and slowly start to form those routines to give them predictability but you do not have to worry about sit, paw, down, all that kind of stuff. Just, you know, take a bit of a breather. I will say if the if you want to teach your puppy anything, teach them how to lure. So teach them in the privacy of your own home where it's calm, everything's cool, not in front of things that are scary, but just teach them to follow a little bit of a treat and then just give it to them. Really a couple bits of movement and here's your food. It will be so much more beneficial, especially if you work with a professional, so much more beneficial if your dog knows how to be lured versus they know how to sit and give paw. So that's my little caveat to that, little little asterisk, please do that. Um, and that will definitely be more beneficial for you in the future. Yes. <laughs> and a really big thing that I always tell people, because you mentioned it earlier, one of the first things people like to teach their dog is paw. Don't teach your dog paw. Just don't. <laughs> Nobody. Like him, Paul. And he's almost five. 
Yeah, he's fine. That's what I'm saying, though. Like, you are far better off to teach them to target their nose to something than you are to teach them to boff you in the face while you're sleeping because they want their breakfast. (laughs) Because those behaviors become so reinforced so often. And I know this is totally off topic, but those behaviors are so reinforced so often that dogs end up having them as a default behavior. So when they want something from you, they paw. When they don't know what it is you're asking of them, they paw. They do all of these because you've reinforced it so much because it's such a cute behavior for them to have that they literally paw everyone for everything. And then you're like, well, why does my dog want to paw all the time? It drives me nuts that my dog is just pawing me in the face. And I'm like, well, because you taught it paw. That's why. <laughs> like, let's be let's be real here. That's why. That's my caveat for the day. Learn your dog's body language. Don't teach them how to paw you. <laughs> Instead of that, yeah, that's a great little redirect. If there, if you are going to learn about your dog and take that time, you know, that you might be using on training, get some really good resources on body language. Um, I have lots on the Instagram account um, and I have a couple of things in the works as well to make it easier for people. Um, but that is something that you can definitely do that will really, really help your dog. And you don't have anything... You don't have to do anything with them. You could literally could just, you know, on your time off for Christmas or New Year's, whatever, just sit down. Lily Chin's body, uh, what is it called? Doggy, Doggy body, body language. language. Yeah. Yes. That's a really simple, super, I mean, I looked through it. I probably finished it in like 10 minutes. Yeah. Not because, even. yeah, it's so easy. It's so very, very simple to consume. Um, so even getting something like that, and especially if you have children, I was going to say, especially really yeah. with kids. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Very cute cartoons, very easy to digest. Mm-hmm. Um, but that will give you a good baseline for understanding your dog. Because I mean, you'll probably agree with me, Cassie, but having a good understand of body language is the number one thing that you can do to have a good relationship with your dog and understand other dogs. Yep. Yep. And be able to, in in turn, because you understand dog body language, your dog, obviously every dog's an individual. So there are little idiosyncrasies, but overall body language is very, very much the same across like across the species. So it also gives you the opportunity if you are socializing your puppy or your dog and you see body language that you do not like from either another dog or your dog, doesn't matter. It gives you the opportunity to recognize when something isn't going well and to give your dog an out or to give that other dog an out if your dog happens to be the bully in the situation or whatever. So yes, absolutely. Body language is like one of the biggest things you could ever do to give yourself a great relationship with your dog. Yeah, absolutely. Um, okay. So I think, like I said, we're going to have to definitely do another yeah, one on this yeah. one. But, I keep looking but, at the time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um. So with that, guys, I hope you have enjoyed this episode as a little interlude into puppies. And um, if you have got a puppy this Christmas or this new year, congratulations. And you know where to find us, rplusdogs.com. Thanks for hanging out with us on the Dog Logical Podcast. And if you appreciate the free content that we put out, like this podcast, leave us a review. After all, positive professionals love positive reinforcement. And if you're looking for an ethical, evidence-based dog professional to work with, we're virtual. Check out rplusdogs.com to see what services we offer. Thanks again, and we'll see you next time.